0: States. Um, I can remember distinctly 9/11. I was driving to school, and uh, and on the way down there, I was listening to the radio. And this guy comes on the radio, and he's and I was listening to a, it wasn't a Christian station. It was the popular station there or whatever. And so this guy was just goofing off or whatever, telling jokes in the morning. And it was early because I had eight o'clock class or something like that. I can't remember. But uh, and he goes, man, a, a plane just drove in, flew into one of the twin towers. And, and man, that's crazy, you know? And I was just like, okay, whatever. Uh, and it was only like a 10-minute drive to school, and I was already halfway there. So by the time I got there, I walked into the what is called the CC or the commons area, whatever, class commons area, whatever. I uh, walked in, and everybody going to class usually walked through there or whatever. And I walked in, and uh, and there was this big-screen TV with this little lounge area. And my cousin, Matt Dietz, was, just happened to be sitting there because he had an 8 o'clock class. And I sat down, and he's like, dude, have you seen this? And I'm like, what? He's like this plane. And I'm like, no, really. And so those two of us sit down, and we were the only two. Everybody else is just going about their business. And I'm thinking, when I heard it on the radio, I'm thinking like a little prop jet, like a little twin plane. You know, that's happened before. Uh, that one of them tried to fly into. It might have been the twin towers. One of them flew into the twin towers. I think so. I think it was. It had flown in, but it caused like zero damage. Like it blew out a window, essentially. Um, and so I'm thinking expecting the same thing, and it wasn't like a terrorist attack the first time it happened. In fact, it was a New York Yankee that was flying in a plane and, and crashed and died. It was a sad thing. But, um, so I'm thinking the same thing. So I walk in, and I sit down beside him, and he's like, check this out. And there's this gaping hole in the whole side of the, one of the Twin Towers. And, of course, they're showing replays and replays, and this replay of this jumbo jet flying in. And I'm like, and at that point, nobody suspected terrorism. I mean, everybody was just thinking pilot error, something's going wrong. And we're sitting there watching, and they're talking. And they're like, this is just crazy. And you see smoke blowing out, and everybody's just freaking out. And know, just like, wow, this is crazy. And about that time, you just see this plane off in the horizon. And I can remember watching it coming, and I'm just like, what is that? That's another plane. And the commentators hadn't even really talked about it. And you know, Matt's like, dude, that's another plane. And sure enough, it's coming closer and closer. And we're watching. the commentators don't even say anything about it until the plane collides. With the tower, because at that point still nobody assumed that we were under attack, and that second plane flies into the other tower, and 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 then all horror broke loose, uh, because then we understood real quickly this is not an accident. And I'll never forget as I'm sitting there at college, it was just my cousin and I watching this because neither uh, neither of us needed encouragement not to go to class at that point in our lives, really. Uh, especially an 8 o'clock class. Um, so any good reason was a good reason, you know. And so we weren't, we weren't going to skip class, but we weren't also going to just, like, uh, you know, be early. Uh, so we're sitting there. Well, by the time the second plane hits, the CC has completely stopped. And everybody, about 500 college students, are sitting there glued to the TV. Fortunately, we got there early because we had front row seats. And we're watching this. And about that time, they come on saying that there's a plane nearing the Pentagon. And uh, and there was also another plane that, was, uh, that they could not get in contact with the pilots. So crazy, crazy events unfolded. And it was the first time that I can remember in my lifetime that United States soil had been attacked. In fact, the only other time that we've really been attacked uh, since we've been a country was in Pearl Harbor, which is actually off in Hawaii somewhere. So it's not real United States proper. It's one of the states, but it's an island out there. These people had come in our back door and and had terrorized America. It's a crazy thing. It was one of those things that, you know, if you're taking government or you've taken government, you learn about the line of succession. And so if something happened to President Bush at the time, Dick Cheney becomes president. If something happens to him, then... Speaker of the House, yeah, some of you paid attention to government. Speaker of the House who become president, and it was just a crazy deal because they George Bush was in Air Force One, and they didn't ground him. They were flying, and, and the the FAA cleared airspace. And, and so basically any plane soon into that, after the second tower had been attacked, soon into that, any plane that was still in the air had a, like an F-16 escort that was about like ready to shoot them down if they didn't get grounded and didn't respond. And it was just a crazy event and uh, and i 'll never forget um, sitting there, and I you know nobody went to class. All the profs were in there with it wa- watching us with it for the first two classes, my eight o 'clock and my nine o 'clock class Finally, at ten o 'clock, no new planes had hit, and so I went into class and uh, we sat there for thirty minutes, and the teacher didn 't show up. Finally, the teacher comes in crying, he has a cousin that lives in New York that works in one of the twin towers can 't get a hold of her. He dismisses classes, and it was very real, but you know it hit it, it hit close to home and and it was a crazy event, and it sent us spiraling into fear and chaos, and and that's why when you go to the airport now, you can't carry a tube of toothpaste, and 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 if you're like me, you have to basically unclothe yourself to make it through the radar detector, and because everything sets it off. My whiskers set those stupid things off and and just ridiculous. Um, but but it was just a crazy event. Well, since then, you know. A couple things happened. First, it was like everybody was anti-Muslim. People who didn't even know what Muslim was suddenly were anti-Muslim, and uh, and Islamic, and if we lived that out for a little while, and now we're in a period where we're like, no, we got to be, we got to get the Muslim world back in harmony with us. So we're all loving of the Muslims, and uh, and anything Muslim. Then uh, to the to the, you know to the extent to where we're you know uh, as Christians, almost my rights are being. Or my religion is being looked down upon more than the Muslim religion. You know, it's just, and we, we do that. We're humans. Humans do that. They go from one extreme to the other. And, and there we find ourselves today. Well, in the midst of this week in particular, there's this huge controversy because there's this old Pentecostal preacher. Of an, he's not affiliated with the Pentecostal church. He's an independent, but he comes from a Pentecostal background out in Florida that announced that he was going to burn the Quran, a copy of the Quran if the Muslim mosque that's being built near ground zero is built, then he's going to burn this, this Quran. And interest, you know, and it's become a huge deal because evidently news or word of it got out in like Afghanistan and like terrorists, like attacks started happening and bombings and all this stuff over the burning of a Quran. And, uh, and, and people are just disgusted with him and how could he do that? And, and so it's just become this huge thing, which then again, you know, you got the other people on the other side that are like, well, they can come fly into our Twin Towers, but we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to incorporate them into American society and, and be pro-tolerant pro, or tolerant to Muslim, but, but then they don't have to be tolerant to a Christian that wants to burn a copy of the Koran. It's not like he's flying a plane into, into the Mecca or whatever, you know. Uh, so you got both sides, and both sides are right, both sides are wrong, and both sides are just stupid. Um, because we're focusing on the miners. But in the midst of all that, you got these guys wanting to burn the Quran, and it just turned into this huge ordeal. Uh, my, my, one of my favorite comments about it was there was this Muslim sheik who made a comment who lives in Palestine who wrote this comment and put it in Al Jazeera News for Muslims all over the Middle East. And he said basically this. So he wants to bury, bury a, or burn a Quran? Let him. It doesn't affect us. We have millions of copies of the Quran. He's an infidel anyways, you know. Uh, so, so why are we Muslims going to get all riled up about the burning of the Quran? And, I, you know, I was like, hey, that's, that's really nice. The problem is that when events like this occur uh, is that we do. We have a tendency to jump one side of the other. I remember when the first Iraqi Gulf War, the first war, when Iraq invaded Kuwait, when Saddam was still in power. I remember that people in the United States thought it was the second coming of the King, you know, and they could find all kinds of coincidences between it and the Book of Revelation, you know, because after all, Babylon was found in the land that is now known as Iraq, and it was the resurgence of Babylon, and and so forth and so on, and and it was just you know, and everybody could find their semblance going on, and it was just a crazy thing then too. And I can remember everybody, I, I mean, the churches experienced tremendous growth during that year. Churches across, across denominations, their numbers grew exponentially for that year because people thought it was the end of the world. Americans thought it was the end of the world. And, and so they went out and joined their churches and went back to their roots and found Jesus again because he was coming back. So yeah, here we lie again today. For me, it's just, it's all, um, it's almost laughable. When you look back at history, ever since uh, the book of Revelation was been written, there have been signs of or times that you could relate to the Revelation stories and the prophecies. Now, I'm sure during the Holocaust that the Jews thought that Hitler was the Antichrist i 'm um, sure yeah, I mean you could just you could go back and forth all over history i 'm sure before before many of those who read the Book of Revelation ended, you know the Roman Empire was in power, and they started persecuting Christians. All, almost all the twelve apostles were either killed, martyred for their faith, or died of old age, being poor and outcast because of their faith um, and so i 'm sure most of them thought the end times were near as well. The problem with that is not that we think that end time is near or that things are getting crazy. The problem is that we take our eyes off of what our focus should be. Okay? And we talked about this the other day in Sunday school youth, that the book of Revelation is not meant to give us signs and wonders so that we know when the second coming is near. The book of Revelation is given that we might have hope that when the second coming does happen, we know that Christ is victorious, that we will reign with him in the millennium, and that we will not suffer. There will be no more pain, no more death. That the suffering that we should be enduring for the cause of Christ here and now will come to an end and cease. The suffering that Christ promised we would all endure. And, uh, And so on and so forth. But just like the end times, this whole Muslim, Christian, American war going on right now and the burning of a Quran is just another one of those things where we just take our eyes off of what is important. And where am I going with all this? Second Peter chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into dispute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories, and their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and the seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from the trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true for those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despite authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to help abuse, to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to cruise in broad daylight. There are blots and blemishes revealing in their pleasures, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of idolatry, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and cursed in a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in mud. That's a beautiful chapter. Anybody have you ever heard that before? Who's this talking about? That's a question. Huh? The sinful? Well, yes, we're all sinners. But who specifically is this passage talking about? Brianna? People who might have known about Christ and turned away. Yes. Who else? Anna. Anna. False prophets and false teachers. In other words, people who claim to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and who are in the business of discipling others. Right? You follow me? Okay. Now, For those of us today, who would that be? That's a question. Could be. It's all of us. Because when Christ rose into heaven, he commanded all of us to what? Wake up! He commanded all of us to what? Go and make disciples. In other words... This is not reserved for the preachers, the pastors, and the teachers. This is for all Christians. And basically what Peter is getting at here, what the Spirit is getting at through Peter, is that woe to us who claim to be Christians, who lead an example and disciple others in heresy. And not just any heresy, he's not talking about like wild people who go out and preach false religions. You know, he's not talking about the Mormons and the Muslims and so on and so forth. He's talking about people who claim to know Jesus, truly know about Jesus, and yet they teach to appealing to their own earthly desires and to the desires of those they're teaching to. In other words... Any believer that knows the truth, yet waters it down or does not teach the truth as truth. Rather, trades in the truth for a half-truth or stories, like Peter says, that tickle the ears of those who listen or those who follow or those who are around them. Let me make it more applicable to you. Those of you students, those of you who students who go to school and claim the name of Christ yet turn around and act like the rest of the world because you're more concerned with fitting in or, or making them feel comfortable than living out a life that reflects truth. Then you are living a life of heresy for those of us who are in the workforce, who claim to be Christians, yet we run our businesses cutthroat like the world then we are living a life that does not example perfectly Christ. For those of us who are, are married, those of us who say we love our spouse, and yet yet we, we cheat on them by, by entertaining thoughts or notions or looking at other people, then we are living a life of heresy. Are you following me? In other words, what Peter is getting at is, listen, there is an absolute truth, and God has commanded us to live a life that disciples everyone around us to truth, regardless of how they feel about it. Now, how does that relate to all this stuff about this preacher who's going to burn burn the book of Quran? Well, the poor man, bless his heart, he, he believes, I read a quote from him, uh, that the Holy Spirit told him that he must burn the book unless they move the site of this mosque. Um, now, r- rather than really getting into whether the Holy Spirit did teach him that or not, he's just, he's just missing the mark completely. His desire for holiness, his desire to represent God, to, to hold God's name true and, and above all else is there. It's a right attitude but he's carrying it out in a wrong way. Does it make sense? However, at the same time, the hundreds of pastors and Christians around America today, that, that in order to, to extend love and tolerance to, our Muslim, uh, to the Muslim humans around us, they will go as far as to call them brothers or sisters, and they will go as far as to say that we need to let them practice their faith because it's their right. And the reality of it is, is, that as Christians, we know it's not their right. God created them to worship him. He's a jealous God who will share his glory with none other. It is not their right to choose to worship a fake God. Now, how do we communicate that to them? We do it in a loving way that Christ would but not neglecting the truth. In other words, I'm never going to stand up with a a Muslim sheik or somebody and say that we worship the same God. Never. I'm never going to stand up with a Muslim brother or sister or friend and say, well, they're not a brother or sister, but stand up with a Muslim friend and and have them say, so what you're saying is basically I'm going to hell if I don't believe the way you do. I'm never going to say, well, no, I'm not saying that. No, I I didn't say it at all. Jesus did. I'm sorry. I love you too much to lie to you. I love you so much that being willing to hurt your feelings now is more important to me for eternity. Rather than lying to you now and watching you spend eternity in hell. Does that make sense? Peter's drawing a line in the sand, and that's why I love this chapter. Church today, we don't preach chapters like this. But I wonder if we all took a mission trip to India or Pakistan. We have members from Pakistan in this church. If we took a mission trip over and spent a week with them, and we watched converts getting saved over there, and as they're getting ready to be baptized like we baptized six people this morning, and they're they're not standing up in their suits in their air-conditioned building with a little gold goblet with water going... Do you promise to support your church with the blah, blah 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 blah. What name is given this child? You know they're not doing just that. They're going, hey, are you willing to give your life for Christ? Because understand this: when you take Christ as your Lord and Savior, your life will be threatened. People will come and try to kill you. Because by the way, that's what they do in their baptismal ceremonies over there. They ask. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. Are you willing to die for the cause of Christ? Yes. Well then I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So for those of us today in America, we're living in a nation that is so tolerant and so so loving and, and so just about concerned about individual rights that we've, we, we've just become lackadaisical. And when a fanatic decides to live, lift up his name for Christ or whatever, it's only the fanatical, the ones who are living outside the real gospel, the truth, that are getting noticed. And then it taints all of Christianity and makes us all just horrible beings or whatever, rather than us speaking the truth and living the truth out in love. The reality of it is is that as Christians, if we were to live out the truth, we wouldn't have to speak it at all. Does that make sense? Remember, this is the same author who wrote just in a letter earlier that wrote, Hey, you should all be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Meaning, as you're living out your life for Christ in the way that he has called you to, as you're living out the mandate of, of the gospel, as you're living out the, the living word, the truth that God has given us, as you're living it out, the world should see what you have, they'll want what you have, and they'll come ask for the reason, the reason for the hope that you have, and you should be ready to give them an answer. In other words, what Peter's saying is, listen, the truth is not something to be preached, it's something to be lived. And preaching it is one thing entirely, and living it is another. And woe to those who claim to be Christians who preach the truth, yet don't live it. Essentially is what he's saying. Because for those who preach the truth, yet live something else, you are like a dog that returns to its vomit. You're like a pig that got washed, and as soon as it's let out of the barn, goes and wallows in the mud again. There is a day that is appointed for you, and it will be dark, is what Peter says. Woe to you on Judgment Day. It would be better that you had never known about Christ to begin with, is what he says. Wow. We even have a name for those kind of passages in the Bible and the people who preach them. It's called Hellfire and Brimstone. Heaven forbid we preach the word of God in its entirety. Right? No. Every once in a while, hellfire and brimstone is what we need. We don't need to be going out and burning the book of the Quran, it's not where the church has failed. Where we failed the Muslim nation is that we have not provided a living example of Jesus Christ that gives them a hope where the Muslim religion has failed. Where Muslim religion has led to fanaticism, where it has led to violence. We have not given them an example of the love and, and, and the humility of Christ that causes them to say there's something wrong here, something doesn't measure up. My Muslim faith is not leading me to this. Texas Tech University at the Wesley Center, uh, they've had three Muslim students come to know the Lord because because of their students in the Wesley there, living it out. Just living it out. One of them ne- never had the gospel presented to him. He was just invited to go to the Wesley. He went and he hung out and he just saw the camaraderie. He saw the acceptance of these individuals that were all totally different. That In any other circle in, on, on the college campus, you would never see these people hanging out. Yet they were hanging out and they were loving on each other. And he wanted to understand it so much that he went home and he just opened his Bible and just started reading. And as he read the Bible, God just revealed himself to him literally in a dream, or to her, sorry. And she loved it so much that they invited her to this retreat, and while she was on this retreat, Christ just appeared to her in a dream, only she was awake. And she started wandering around the campground, and all the college students are like, what is wrong with her? And she, her eyes were just glazed over, and she just started walking, and she was talking. To Jesus, but they didn't know who she was talking to. She's just talking and she's walking all around and he just goes through and shares the whole gospel with her. And then in the middle of one of their worship services, she's out there talking to somebody and they think that she's lost her noggin. And suddenly she comes to and she walks back in the worship service and just says, I got saved. Why? Because they were living a life that reflected Christ. Enough so that she saw the truth in them, and the truth in them, without a word being spoken, the truth being lived out in them, reflected a light, as Matthew would say, the Gospel of Matthew would say. It was like a light on a hill that could not be put out. And it revealed the darkness in her life. It revealed the falsehoods, the, the deception in her life, and the need in her life for what they had. And Jesus himself manifested himself to her, and she came to the Lord without a word being spoken by them. We don't need to be burned in the book of crown. And the reason we have fanatics who are is because the church is ever more increasingly lacking in living out what we say we believe. And the reason why is because we're fat. We're lazy. We live in Laodicea. We're neither hot nor cold. We're content to just go in on a Sunday morning and be taught to. We dare to argue about styles of music or, or styles of preaching or what our worship leader is wearing or not wearing because we have nothing better to do, because we're no longer entertained by Christ. In other words, we've become Second Peter chapter 2. As a church, we've gotten to a place in America where we long for the pastor, the worship leader, to entertain us. To be dynamic enough that I don't get bored listening to the truth. To play with such a style that it tickles my fancy or my memories. Because the way I experienced music growing up in the church is the best way. Or what's the most modern style today is the best way, and those old people should get up with the times. They need to become irrelevant. Or, or heaven forbid that our pastor read his sermons rather than, than speak from the heart, because when you write them, he obviously can't be writing from the heart. Or, or heaven forbid that one of our worship pastors wears sandals instead of shoes, because In my generation, that was a mockery or that was a lack of respect. We need to be entertained. Because although we would never say it, we don't believe it up here, we live out that our Christianity is all about us. And Peter, in the first church, and again today as we read it, Peter reminds us, hey, church, just a reminder, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the living God. We live for his purposes, regardless of how we feel. Remember the prophet, the prophet, the one who is gifted, who is called, who heard God himself speak to him for his people, the prophet Balaam. Remember him? And how he got so caught up in his anger that he forgot to listen to God. And God had to use a stinking donkey to talk to him. Remember him? Hello? Wake up call, church. That's what Peter's saying to the first church. Wake up call. Remember. But don't be like Balaam. And the same rings true for us today. When our world around us is just falling apart our country is falling apart i mean politically you whatever you believe whatever you want to believe socially and economically believe whatever you want to believe but spiritually our country is falling apart it's in shambles and the church needs to rise up and not, we don't need to rise up by getting votes and putting people in Congress. We don't need to rise up by, by sending out mass emails and forwarding things and put your name on this on this Facebook thing so that we can send it to Congress. That's all we need to do. If God's people will humble themselves, get on their knees and pray, and seek His face, and turn from their wicked ways, then He will hear from heaven. And he will heal their land. And that's what Peter is saying then and he's saying to us today. We as a church, you as a young generation, you have a choice. You can choose to live like your parents and their parents before them, the parents before them have lived. Or you can choose to be a generation that says, I'm going to passionately follow after my rabbi. I'm going to choose to be a disciple of Christ. I'm not a student at Hebron or Creekview or wherever. I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm not going to AM or Tech. I'm going on the mission field because I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm, I'm not going to be a pilot or a cook or I'm not going to be a professional. I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. When I go and, and, and I run banking, I'm going to bank for Jesus. I'm going to bank in such a way that when all the other banks are falling apart, we're growing because we're, we're living out the principles. God has instilled for us. When I I become that wife, I'm not going to be the one who struggles and fights with my husband, who, who follows the example of the church around us now where more Christians get divorced than those who stay together. I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. And in the way I live my marriage, I'm going to reflect Jesus Christ. I'm not going to marry someone who I'm going to divorce in the first place because I'm following Christ. And Christ is what I'm looking for. And so when I look for my husband or my wife, I'm looking for the standard that is Jesus Christ. Does this person reflect Christ? And I'm going to be willing to wait if I'm 30, if I'm 40 before I get married. I'm not going to marry until I find someone that reflects Jesus Christ. And if I've been married before, I'm not going to rush out and marry the next person because, because I, you know, I don't want to be that, that widower or that divorcee. I'm going to wait for Jesus Christ. And if that means singleness for the rest of my life, I am a disciple of Christ, and that is more important to me than anybody else. As a parent, I'm going to parent in such a way that I reflect Jesus Christ. As a son or a daughter, I'm going to be a child that reflects Jesus Christ. As a student, I'm going to reflect Jesus Christ because I'm a follower of Christ. And if your generation will choose to do that, then we can turn the tide of of the climate, spiritual climate of this nation and the world around us. Or you can follow in our footsteps, the generations that have gone before, that are ever more becoming self-centered not Christ-centered but me-centered Christians and Peter says woe to us if that's what we let happen words of wisdom call it hell fire and brimstone if you want I call it a good spiritual spanking that we all need every once in a while. You know, sometimes you just need a spanking. Sometimes I need a, just a good spanking. Max and Josh and Tater are the cutest boys ever, but sometimes they just need to be reminded that they're three, six, and seven, and that their mommy is their mommy. Don't argue, don't complain, just obey. Or I'll spank your butt. And that's what God does to us sometimes. Sometimes he just says, listen, I'm God and you're not. Let me remind you. So there you go. There's a good spiritual spanking for us tonight. As we go about our lives, as we begin to learn what a disciple really is, as we allow the Spirit to speak through Richard over the next five weeks about what a disciple is, Let us come in this room on Sunday mornings with an attitude and a heart that says, God, teach me what it means to be a follower of you. Rather than saying, God, come be a follower of me and my ways. And let's see what God does. Because the first step of being a disciple is laying down who I am so that I can follow you. Amen. All right. We have a youth commission meeting upstairs.